it's not okay that if the boys baseball team has a better everything than the women's softball team. It's just not okay. Whether you're in high school, whatever level you're in, whether they have better pay so they can afford to pay coaches and the, the high school can only afford to pay a, a, you know, a kid who doesn't have any experience yet because they just don't pay them enough to get somebody. And just opportunity should be equal. Equal opportunity. It doesn't always mean the exact same of everything, but it's clear when you've got a really nice baseball field and they just got new turf or they just got new batting cages and then you're struggling and fighting to get them for softball. Parents can make a lot of noise. Student athletes can make a lot of noise. Hey, I'm Ashley Agle. Some of you might know me as Ashley Burkhart, and I'm a former D1 and professional softball player who spent a few years coaching in the college game before deciding to put all of my focus into youth softball players and helping them make their dreams and their goals happen for them. It's our job to help them unleash their potential and become the athletes they've always dreamt of. I come from a small city in the Midwest and didn't let that stop me from making my goal of playing D1 softball a reality. No matter where you live, you have the tools to help you thrive, and I am hoping through this podcast to help you get there. On this podcast, you'll learn from Olympians, Hall of Fame coaches, and elite players what their journeys have been like, and you'll also learn from me and my family a bit of our journey through the game. I'm so excited to have you here, so whip out your notebook and let's learn how we can grow in this game together. Welcome to When the Cleats Come Off. Thank you, Hutch. I cannot believe last week when we put out part one, Hutch on the same day announced her retirement. I kid you not, I was planning social media prompts as I found out on Twitter, just like you, that she was announcing her retirement. So no, I had no idea this was happening. This entire interview, I had no idea. And it's crazy to think that a little bit of her legacy is going to be passed down in these episodes right here. In multiple interviews, she's been known to say that she doesn't measure her successes by wins, losses, numbers, but she measures her success by her people. And with that in mind, there are some statistics that I do want to share that I did not share in last week's episode that it just makes sense. It just makes sense why she's had all of these titles because she soaks all of her purpose and her work into her people. So in 38 seasons, she had 1,707 wins. 29 NCAA tournament appearances, 12 Women's College World Series appearances, 12 Big Ten season titles, 69 All-Americans, two-time National Coach of the Year she was honored with, and she's had 14 academic All-Americans. Now, I know she doesn't like talking about her own numbers, but we can, but I can, because those numbers were not something she was striving to get. She was striving to pour into her people, which is why she got here. Now, you learned a lot last week about Hutch. And if you have not listened to last week's, I'm going to tell you right now, you should probably pause this episode and go listen to last week's first so you can get to know Hutch. Because this week, we're talking about her favorite topic of all time. And that's Title IX. It was established in 1972. 
And she talks a lot about how in 1972, she was a sophomore in high school. And the game literally on a dime changed. And when she went off to play college sports at Michigan State, which you'll find out here, there weren't scholarships for females then, which is wild to think. But she became a varsity sport athlete her senior year of her high school year because of how much changed since that date of 1972. If you're not familiar with Title IX, it's essentially gender equality in sports. So not even just sports, it's any academic institution, but as you know, college athletics is part of a college. So it's given equal opportunity for male and female athletes. And Hutch says that it's the biggest landmark in women's athletics. You're going to learn in this episode why it's so significant, how far we have come as a sport. And this is probably going to be a history lesson that you'll want to refer back to many times. If you are a coach or a parent, this is a necessity for your athlete to hear. Because if your athlete's starting to take things for granted, listen to this story. Listen to how Hutch has gone through Title IX since its inception all the way to now and what she believes we still have yet to do. And then at the end, you get to find out her five to thrive questions, which are epic and awesome as always. Let's welcome to the show, Coach Carol Hutchins. When I asked you to come on, I asked you what you wanted to talk about and you're like, Title IX, Title IX, I need to talk about this. And... Mm -hmm. I'm going to let you kind of lead this because, I mean, you've seen it from the beginning and I frankly haven't. So tell the audience a bit about Title IX, why you're fired up about it, um, and we'll we'll dive into some more things here in a bit. Well, I mean, I learned a few years ago that Title IX is, uh, it was an educational amendment. It passed in 1972. And just like anybody, who the heck pays attention to that stuff when you're, when you're anybody, really? Half, most of society doesn't pay attention to what Congress is doing especially these days. <laughs> what it was, it was a 37-word amendment that was had nothing to do with athletics. There's not one word of it. It just talks about there will be no discrimination in any federally funded institution. And it was, the purpose was education. It was to increase women in particular in education to give more opportunities to be faculty members, to be students, I mean, back in, uh, you know, the 50s and 60s, three or four or five women would attend law school. Nowadays, 50% of law classes are female. And you can go across the board with how it has increased and improved women in society. And, of course, at the college level, 20%, not even, were women attending colleges. When I grew up, I grew up in the 60s. I was a, you know, teeny bopper. Well, 70s, I was teeny bopper. Women tend to go to college. When they did, we majored in nursing and we majored in education. You didn't see people in the STEM. You didn't see engineers and lawyers and doctors. And again, so this purpose of this educational amendment was to improve that lot. Because if you weren't showing equal numbers or better numbers, you could lose the penalty for not complying was losing your federal financial assistance, which every state school relies on heavily. So, as it turns out, though, it had the most significant impact in athletics for all levels, secondary education, collegiate levels of all levels. And it became one of the most hot topics and contested back in the 70s. 
in the early 80s, as is as with any other social, it was largely a social justice impact. And of course, those have great upheaval, social, uh, um, you know, political discourse as you go through the upheaval process. And um, but it was allowing to have the same opportunities for the girls as we have for the boys. And I alluded earlier, I did not play high school sports. We didn't have them. I didn't play high school softball. We didn't have it. My senior year, and I was playing women's summer ball. So my senior year, we had added the Michigan High School Athletic Association Girls Basketball Tournament. So basketball became a varsity sport in the state of Michigan. We had a varsity team. I had a uniform. I bought my first pair of Adidas Superstars. <laughs> we had buses. We had cheerleaders. Played at full schedule. It was a dream come true. When they added it, they added it and they put basketball season for girls in the fall. And it was a direct quote, whether I read it in the newspaper or wherever I read it, that we were going to keep the girls in the fall so they stay out of the way of the boys. Because the boys' basketball was when's basketball season, during ba the normal basketball season. Now, as a, you know, I was, you know, 17 years old. I didn't care when we played. I was so excited to get to be a varsity athlete, just like my brothers had been. And so that was how the evolution began. And I, I grew up right with it, you know. And then I went to college, and none of us had a scholarship. We were all walk-ins, technically. There are a few scholarships out there, and some of the JCs were giving them. And, you know, as, as and my mom said, how are you going to go to college? Like, six kids, right? We don't have any money. I said, oh, don't worry. It'll work out. Well, I'll get a scholarship. Of course, there weren't any. So I worked in college. My first year, I had a job. I had um, financial aid. And, some, and I lived at home because I rode my bike to school. It was a mile and a half away. That was all my teammates. And we were just happy to get to play. We had a lot of opportunities to be in these sports that were not considered anything. There was men's sports and then there were the women's. You can't see my other hand because it's uh, out of the picture. But we got mm -hmm. to play. And it was very reluctant on all the athletic departments, whether it was in high schools and in college level, to spend money on the women. And our own athletic director at Michigan lobbied Congress against the passage of Title IX. They wanted to exempt football. He said, if we start spending all this money on women, it's going to ruin college football. How about sure. that? That seems like it's not, it's going fine. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of ups and downs as you go through those kind of changes. And a lot of women started fighting, you know, coaches or administrators fighting for, because athletic departments were reluctantly giving us very small crumbs and saying, be happy, you're lucky you get to play. I mean, and Michigan State was a great example. Um, I went to high school with Magic Johnson. He was a sophomore, I was a senior. So I was at Michigan State as a walk-on, having my coach drive me around the you know, country to our basketball games. And Magic Johnson came in as a freshman and was flying around charter planes and got a full scholarship and you know all that stuff. And uh, you know I remember distinctly, we were playing at Mackey Arena at Purdue and we played, so our game was at seven o'clock at night. We didn't certainly draw crowds. And then our coaches had to drive us home in a snowstorm and my car ended up in a 20 foot ditch. Just missed a pole that, I don't know, probably could have caused some damage. Holy smokes. And this is how it went back then. But uh, so eventually there was a lot of lawsuits filed as more and more people realized that this is the law and at Michigan State, we met a very famous, one of the most famous Title IX lawyers, probably the most famous, Gene King, lived in Ann Arbor. 
And we drove down, a couple of us on the basketball team, and met with her. And she basically, you know, she was a lawyer. So the question she asked, she goes, she doesn't know anything about basketball. But what she did know was the law. And she said, you guys, the law only works if you use it. And you think about a speed limit sign. I've said Tile 9 is the speed limit sign. And, of course, we always compare on South State Street by our field is, what's the speed limit? 25, 30. And if you go faster than that, there is a consequence if it's enforced. And if it's not enforced, you can go as fast as you want. If you take the speed limit sign down, you can go as fast as you want. So keeping Title IX intact and enforcing it, because right now as we've moved through and we've seen the growth that you've seen, the only reason we have it, the reason you got to go to college and be on a scholarship and play and now look at the stadium they build at Purdue, and it's only because of the law. That was the seed that started it all. And that, that law created every opportunity that's there today. And the good news is, I heard this quote recently, and I was like, yeah, you know, I guess I'll agree with that. So many young women don't have a clue how it was hmm. because it's been so good for so long. That all the opportunities available today. So that's the good news. It means it's worked. Unfortunately, though, what we have seen in the last as we've gotten through this huge hump, we still see so many disparities. Because as good as they treat the women, they treat a lot of the men better. It was really exposed in the uh, 2021 Women's Basketball Tournament when they threw out the yoga mats and the you know a couple dumbbells. Yeah, yep. they built enormous weight room for the boys and said, well, we're going to build one for the women in a couple weeks. You know, that kind of stuff. And uh, at the College World Series that same year, it became evident that we were compressing the exact same number of games into six days, playing double headers, playing until two and three in the morning, and then turning around playing again the next day. And they said, well, it's money. And so, but it was exposed and it's clearly, it just, it doesn't make sense. I mean, Mm -hmm. what's the difference is the NCAA putting their money were into the women because they weren't. They weren't willing to pay the difference. And the women's golf tournament, the NCAA championships for women, still has a disparate number of teams. There are more men teams that go to the championships than women's, so approximately 10 to 15 team difference. So that many women have less, less opportunity to be in championships. And the NCAA says, well, we're, it's a budget issue dollar business what's the problem they have money for whatever is important as everybody does so we're still uh battling some of these concerns they're rampant on college campuses i get calls all the time because i have a lot of experience in title nine speaking on title nine and helping people understand what where their rights are i'll have a high school coach call me i've had college coaches call me they're doing this for baseball and they're telling us they can't do it for softball they can do it in a few years i mean you go across the country and look at many of the college baseball stadiums and their softball fields and there can be a lot of disparity there you look at coaching salaries across the board men are paid higher than women in all sports and they say well they always there's always a moving shell game market value that's why men make more well why is their market higher what's the difference you know, why are they investing more money in the in the men's sports, whether it's at the national championship level for baseball? They spend $10 million more on the college baseball tournament than they do on the college softball tournament. Our viewership is higher in the same money. They don't invest on the front end and they would reap the rewards. 
You know, we're not getting the college or the uh, TV commercials. Well, why? Where's the committee that does that? They're all working for other sports and they're all the men's sports. So we're, you know, we've come far. But and as a friend said, but don't settle because the crumbs are bigger. So we're not, um, we're just asking for still the same opportunities and um, the same interest because we, we could be great money makers in many of our sports. Women's basketball, volleyball, softball in particular are fan favorites. They're TV favorites. Mm-hmm. Let's go. Make the money. Invest in these women. I mean, yeah. the opportunity come through with numbers of scholarships. There's still more men on college scholarships than there are women. Um, people point to revenue. What well, football's revenue? Well, at this day and age, there's a lot of revenue out there to be had. So there's still a lot to do. There's still um, people have to be vigilant so we don't go backwards. And if you look around the country today, there's a lot of things going backwards. I think we have to pay attention. Totally. Now, what hits me there is when I interviewed my dad, he was telling me how we as a family started getting into softball. And this was when, you know, just the Women's College World Series and the Olympics were on TV. That's it. Now, obviously, everyone's come a long way with media, but that was the first time my dad had seen softball. And he's just like, holy smokes, like these women are so strong and powerful. And this is crazy. You know, and he had never seen that before. And his interest is probably what led into me going, can we keep watching this? Like, I know it's 11 p.m., but like, can we keep watching this game? Caitlin Lowe's on TV. I love her. But like, he showed interest in it. So like, and now my husband's dad is super into watching collegiate volleyball. Like, he loves it. It's like one of his favorite things ever. I'm like, nobody asked them to start watching. They just happened to come across it. And now they're obsessed so clearly we have the, the eyes, but it's a matter of what you were saying is like, well, then we need to invest in what people are watching. But, but people keep saying, oh, well, the men are, you know, they're, they're way more fun to watch. Well, that's not what the numbers are showing. So and I agree. There's a lot that's, of upon women's athletics and really they shouldn't have to stumble upon it mm-hmm. because the is there. They told me in, uh, when I was a kid, my mom told me, you know, honey, girls don't play sports. I thought, wow. I mean, I was like, why? I, wa- I wanted to be an athlete. I, I just wanted to be on a team. And um, they used to say that girls aren't interested. In 1972, pre-72, one in 27 girls played high school sports. Today, one in every two plays high school sports. It's because of the law. Because of the opportunities there. The opportunities there, people are taking it. And what it has done for women, I mean, look how we're improving in society. You have more, 80% of, of uh, CEOs, female CEOs ha- are, have a sports background. Mm-hmm. I mean, creating leadership opportunities, creating more opportunities. And we all know that we're still uh, behind in the leadership aspect of running the world, but uh, it's improving. It totally is. And you and I both know, and this is probably why we're still in it, is the game is teaching you so many things that like the real world quote unquote after college is going to teach you. And like, even if you just play high school, like if you're challenged in high school and you are competing for a state championship, like if you compete for something bigger than yourself, you are learning the qualities that you're going to need later in life. And that, I mean, that's a a little bit away, but, but it's so true. It's, it's crazy how, how much they're, they're so similar. Like Absolutely. The, the greatest Absolutely. coaches and the greatest CEOs have the very similar backgrounds on, you know, g- 
going through sports, but going through challenges, you know, male or female. And now that we're getting more opportunities, it's grown. You see so many, that's why there's such a crossover between the the corporate world and athletics. And you see so many uh, crossovers because leadership is leadership. Coaching is leadership. Yeah. Who are the leaders that, you know, whether they're coaches or not, that you are learning from or have learned a lot from? Obviously, Ann and Kay, but who are some big ones for you? Well, when I was first getting into uh, college coaching, and uh, of course, I I stumbled upon an opportunity to go to uh, Indiana University, and my first uh, college mentor was Gail Blevins, who is one of the most iconic and greatest, not just minds in the game, but she's a great educator, and uh, she'd become a lifelong friend, a lifelong mentor, and I spent my first probably close to 10 years. And then we got into a great war because she went to Iowa and we had Michigan, Iowa. We were such a good rivalry. But uh, I, I swear I wore a bracelet that said WWGD. What would Gail do? <laughs> a lot. And I finally had to realize, you know what? I'm nothing like Gail and I can't be Gail, but I aspire to be Gail. Uh, she's probably my single greatest uh, role model that way. Uh, Margot Yonker from Central Michigan. And in the 80s, I was, again, I was just getting started and Central Michigan went to the World Series, I think, in 87. And uh, she always had great teams, and they just used to kick our can around the state. We we would lose to them uh, like, you know, you wouldn't believe. She was she set the tone. And I, I the biggest compliment, you know, I always wanted my team to be like Marcos. They were fast. They were athletic. They were really good and well-coached, disciplined. And then one day she complimented me and said something how good my team was. And it was, I was like, awesome that's all i ever wanted you know um you know margie wright margie writes i watched her compete i competed against her she's a little bit older than me don't tell her i said that and um she played for uh, a team out of moline illinois i played of course the lansing laurels and we went to these tournaments we played them and she pitched and played shortstop and greatest competitor i ever watched I would just, after our games, if we weren't, I'd go to the field they were playing on just to watch her. She was my idol. I wanted to be her. She was such a great softball player and such a competitor. And so, you know, that's just a name, a name a few, you know, I've been really fortunate that I, I got, and I, I got to end up playing. I played 35 in overball with Margie, you know, played against her for years. And, you know, when we, the first time that the college record was set by Margie Wright and then when we broke it, I was like, wow, it's Margie Wright. And um, you know who the first person to call me was? Margie. Margie Ray. Yep. It's awesome. So just great role models and mentors. And I, I never will ever lose sight of that's that's who we all are. When you get into leadership positions, your duty, I mean, you serve a lot of people, but you ha- owe it to the game. You know, and I go and quote Sue Enquist. She has the best quotes. You know, <laughs> take care of the game. The game will take care of you. But we're here to serve the game and and help make it better. You know, I speak out because I feel like at this stage in my life, my platform is pretty secure and I need to, um, I, my job's to help make the game better. I love that you mentioned all female role models because I think we're finally at an age where there are so many. Like I remember growing up and, you know, some, I think of, I think of male figures a lot. Maybe that was because my dad went through college basketball and we were watching a lot of, you know, men's sports growing up. But there are so many female mentors out there that so many of if athletes actually and this is where parents I think can help their athletes and coaches. Like get them around those those people. Mm-hmm. Get them to go to these pro games. 
and watch these players. Get them to go, you know, a coach from a college is coming to talk, go. Get them in front of them. This is why you're on my podcast. <laughs> like I need people to, to see what's out there because I know you're an incredible role model, not only for me, but just so many athletes out there that are striving to, you know, be a little bit like you. And I know you don't try to do that, but I feel like when women are living into their potential, that's how they become a role model. And that's our job to continue to do that. So thank you. <laughs> I need to ask you a quick question about your golf game, if you don't mind. Sure. <laughs> my, uh, my husband goes, I need to know what Hutch's best golf round was. <laughs> oh, man. Well, you know, I, I played, uh, this summer I had established a handi- handicap, and it's been at around 10 because I was playing lights out while I was practicing it. And then I went to the club uh, a couple different really hard golf courses and i'm like i should have trained here more my handicap would definitely be higher but uh my best round i think i shot and i've broken 80 a couple times and uh i shoot in the mid 80s i'm a i'm a 85 87 golfer regularly i've hit 92 on the really hard courses because i have to tell you i mean i can hit with the best of them but boy my putting is atrocious <laughs> i'm a get uh, and get uh better at my sh- my short games improve a lot my whole games improved um, you have to persevere through the hard. And uh, I finally decided I'm going to focus on uh, putting and I'm taking YouTube lessons right now and I'm trying to find time to take lessons. I'm actually working, trying to get in with a pro this week. So um, like it is kind of a Zen for me to go on the course. There's a lot of parallels between golf and well in life because a bad shot doesn't ruin your, your round. You can always recover more than anything. You know, you really have to be locked in and get into your good zen when you're when you're playing a good round and when i play a good round i realize i am just focused on one moment at a time one ball at a time just focus on feeling the swing versus trying to score and i noticed the other day and i wasn't scoring well i wasn't putting well and i was like i am way focused on the process now and i'm worrying about my score at the end mm-hmm. of the day score right totally so, just like the yeah. game yeah but yeah. i don't know that's yeah. uh that's why I had my husband on the podcast to talk about the similarities of golf and softball because I think golf is mentally much tougher because you're just consistently like if you're not in the present moment you're the, the your, your rounds over you know and then it's yeah it's so hard but yeah I'm trying to get into it I'll have to bring um you know my husband who is my own golf pro to help come up and play with you I think that'd be so fun I, I, uh, invitations wide open. Wide All right. Open. Deal. We'll find awesome. a date. <laughs> I love it. Um, I know we kind of went away from title nine for a second, but I want to know what specifically we can do, you know, as parents, coaches, even players mm-hmm. to help make this better. Like what are things that we specifically can do to help make title nine actually be what it's supposed to be? Well, um, uh, you know, I think more than anything, and people will say, well, look, what are you complaining about? Well, we're not complaining. We're just noticing that as everything continues to evolve into like bigger and better. I mean, look at NILs that are now kids are making a lot of money and uh, more men are making a lot of money than women. And we're trying to help. You know, this is a situation that we have. This is the world we live in. We don't want to take away from the men or their opportunities. How can we gain those opportunities? And as a, as anybody, it, the enforcement of it's key. So being alert really on board with the fact that it's not okay that if the boys baseball team has a better everything 
than the women's softball team. It's just not okay. Whether you're in high school, whatever level you're in, whether they have better pay so they can afford to pay coaches and the, the high school can only afford to pay a, a, you know, a kid who doesn't have any experience yet because they just don't pay them enough to get somebody. And just opportunity should be equal. Equal opportunity. It doesn't always mean the exact same of everything, but it's clear when you've got a really nice baseball field and they just got new turf or they just got new batting cages and then you're struggling and fighting to get them for softball. Parents can make a lot of noise. Student athletes can make a lot of noise. They're the ones who brought it out to begin with uh, just this last year when it really kind of hit a new, uh, you know, crescendo as far as, wow, things are still not what they should be. And the NCAA turned around and, you know, labeled March Madness for the women. They think they fixed it. But in general, there's a lot of disparity. And we are, um, your daughters deserve the same as your sons. Period. Love it. Any final thoughts on Title IX that maybe you haven't touched on yet that I haven't asked? I think it's important people understand what the law was intended for and why women have been able to grow from four people in a law class to 50% of law classes, why all the, the young women today have the opportunities they have to succeed in college, to go to college, to go to into athletics, to go into the fields of their choice. It was because of a law. And... It's no different than many of the other laws we have. But to me, it was the single largest human rights issue since civil the civil rights bills of the 60s. I mean, that created the opportunity that we have today. But those rights, as we see, are often maligned and not being not fair. And some of them are moving backwards. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the one thing we need to re- realize is it can go the other direction. Yeah. There period, oh, in one of the presidential administrations they were like we don't need title nine they were going to rescind it like we didn't need it we would have it would have enabled men's sports to fly through the roof and they're like well nobody's interested in women and we've had to force the issue you know we're still evolving this was team 45 at michigan baseball was team 158 we're a few years behind in evolution we've actually evolved at a very steep rate we're still a generation away from people recognizing equity but are we going to be able to attain it, true equity, or are we going to go through this next period of time where we see a lot of pushback for rights of all people that yeah. aren't a segment of society? Yeah. I'm highly concerned. And I'm concerned way beyond the rights for you to play sports or your daughter, way all beyond that. I think a lot of it is, too, that we can do more research. Like, obviously... There's, there's a lifetime of knowledge that we can all look up and learn. But I think a lot of it comes from like our parents too. Like if they find interest in this, the athlete's going to be like, okay, like what is this that you're researching? What is this that you're looking up? Like watch YouTube videos about this together. I loved, they did the entire segment on ESPN about it. Like I think actually that's just a, a piece of it, but it could be a starter. You know, it could start the fire for you to want to research and learn more about it so that your daughter's can have the same things as your sons. And I think parents have huge influence, coaches have huge influence. So any any way that we can um, show interest in it, our kids are gonna be like, what? What is that? You know? Well, I think it's incumbent on uh, people like myself, educators, to um, make sure, I'd like to make sure my team, we, we have a discussion every year regarding Title IX so they understand it. And, we watched a video, they, Flo Softball did a big video that I was in the center of, and it was regarding my Title IX background, and I made him watch it. I said, this isn't about me, you guys, but uh, 
this is a history lesson. And so many of them were like, I didn't know any of that. They don't know so much. And uh, how, how, and then I used to think, how can you not know this? And I realized it's not their fault. Nobody taught them. This isn't taught in schools. It's a blurb. You know, it's a little blurb. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of things aren't taught in school. I mean, people don't realize that it was as recent as the early 1970s. Women could not own their own credit card. Did you know that? Early Mm -hmm. You couldn't own a credit card. You had to have a male partner, husband, co-sign for it, or however that works. Yep. And that wasn't that long ago. Never talked about I was alive. In fact, my mother had just divorced my father. She needed her own credit card. Right? And um, women didn't used to be able to vote. That is blurbs you read in a paragraph. People don't really delve into it, and people don't want to hear about that that period of time. Mm-hmm. You know, certain segments of a population were not allowed to vote. Women were allowed to vote. You know, people that weren't white were not allowed to vote. We had to fight. We had to pass legislation for that to occur. And yeah, if people haven't haven't lived that. So if you haven't lived it, they don't. They're like, what's the problem? It's history. History's valuable. I guess when you get older, you like history better because you lived through a lot of it. But I listen to a lot of history. Yeah. I mean, there's podcasts out there. There's so many like easy ways to learn about this stuff, which I know nothing compared to what you know. So I think that we all can learn more. So such incredible advice. Amazing. As far as we've, we've gotten for a little, a little while in this chat, but as far as how people, what'd you say? I want people to get bored with us. I don't think they are. I really don't. But I think that one, I would love to hear like any resources that you can think of at the top of your head. Obviously, the documentary Hutch, we can all watch, which I watched it and it is amazing. I loved it uh, to learn a little bit more about Title IX. Any other like immediate resources that come to your brain of what to watch? Maybe that ESPN. Well, um, I, I guess and it first me that the uh, Michigan softball team should watch the uh, Title IX series all together. You know, mm-hmm. you know, they did it. I didn't, I haven't even finished watching it all, but I think they did a, a great job. I certainly was on it. That's a major network to cover that. I, I think, um, I, off the top of my head, I, I can't think of what resources are out there other than um, those who are really interested could certainly um, Google it and, and learn about so many of the cases that, that made a difference in our society. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the, the very first case, but one of if it was not the one of the very first cases was here in Ann Arbor by Gene King, and it was because the tennis team at Huron High School they only had a men's team, and they had a a woman a girl high school girl who who wanted to play. She had to play on the men's team because they didn't have a women's team, and that became a big one of the first ever Title IX landmark cases. And people started looking at this. Well, the women don't have anywhere to play. You know, really the interest is in continuing to educate because I'll just say it again, history can repeat itself. We can go the other direction with lack of interest, with lack of paying attention to what's going on in the world. And there's a lot going on in the world. People need to pay attention. Totally. I will put all those links in the show notes for people to go and watch. But lastly, are you up for some rapid fire questions? Quick. Well, I'm not very, but I'll do my best. I don't know the answer. (laughs) It's okay. Uh, I told my dad it was rapid fire and he did like a five minute answer on one of them, but uh, I had a reminder of his rapid fire. But 
just thank you before I even ask these. This has been such an enlightening conversation. I've learned so much from you. Um, I know there's so much more I'm going to learn from you now that I'm, you know, part of Michigan You're Tribe in now. Sure. I'm in. I'm wearing it. I'm wearing it proudly with the block M. Love it. Um, love it. I, I love being here, and I just want to thank you so much for everything you've done for our family and obviously being on this podcast, too. Well, I, having the Burkharts come in board was what what a great idea that was. So, um, <laughs> y'all, and you're all in the forever go blue. I love it. Go blue. All right. I need to know first question What's your favorite sports movie? My favorite sports movie is, um, God, what's the name of it? Um, we watched it. Used to watch. Remember the Titans? We used yeah. to watch it on the. Remember the Titans? Mm, great one, great one. Uh, what did you eat for breakfast this morning? You know, I'm in the uh, coffee and watermelon. Mmm, tis the season for watermelon. Oh, I love watermelon. I love it. All right, this one's a little deeper. What's a hard lesson that the game continues to teach you over and over and over? That um, no matter what you do, you can't control everything you know as a coach I, I don't feel that i'm a controlling person uh there would be a few people that might argue some of that <laughs> but you want to control everything and and at some point i am best when i i finally find a way to detach in a game and let it go like i don't control if we win the game i never did it's a you know i'd say you continue to learn it because i have to learn it all pretty much every week but you know you you have to just like you tell your athletes put yourself in the best position prepare, get yourself, you know, where you need to be. And then, you know, it's a game and it, it's a hard game. Mm-hmm. It's how it kind of all bounces. Yep. Yep. You got to reanalyze yourself every five seconds. It feels like, uh, cause you think definitely. you got it figured out. And then there's like, no, nah, just kidding. <laughs> I mean, you can, coaches are pretty hard on themselves. People don't realize that. Uh, uh, one thing I, I've learned a long time ago, you don't, you don't blame anybody else. I'm not blaming the minute you start blaming your kids for lack of success. You're, you're not a good coach. I mean, ultimately, it starts and ends with what we do. And does if it doesn't mean we didn't do it well. It doesn't mean it, it doesn't always work. And I tell my kids, 80% rule. Whatever we do, we're striving to have 80% of it work. Whether it's calling steals, calling bunts, you know, hit and runs, pitch outs. I mean, 80% of the time, if we get 80% of it to work, we're going to be in good shape. They're, really good wisdom oh, there. It didn't work. It didn't work this time. Yep, it doesn't always work. I thought they were going to bunt and they hit it over our head. I get it. it doesn't always work. I don't get to know the answer ahead of time. Yeah. I only give my best shot. Yeah. And I love that you're also teaching that you're not always right either. Cause I think that's something that a lot of us can learn too. It's like, everybody knows I'm not always right. It's pretty evident. Well, it, but I think that's an incredible lesson for anybody that, you know, is coaching out there. That's like, no, I'm always right. Or even parents like, no, I'm always right. Like, well, what are we teaching our kids? <laughs> like we, we there's need no to let them know that we're not perfect. There's no such thing. I mean, Romo said it to me one time. She goes, I've learned to be imperfect in a perfect, you know, I want to be perfect. I've learned that I have to be imperfect. And boy, she was, I'll take that imperfect any day, you know? Heck yeah. There's no perfect. Every now and then you get a perfect game. That's how rare is that? Mm-hmm. Totally. I love it. Uh, second to last question. What are you most excited about right now? <laughs> uh, you know, I, I wake up every day and recognize how lucky I am. I'm lucky at, at my age that I still have such a great life and um, health and family. And I try to just, you know, keep it, you know, what, what does make me happy. And summer makes me happy, especially when I get to do what I want to do. I love to play golf and I love to go to the lake and, 
you know, I like to see my people and uh, recharge and regroup and, uh, you know, and I've met so many great, interesting people along the way. Every summer you meet new people and recruiting is, takes zillions of turns and some of it's great and some of it's really tough. So um, you just try to keep it all in perspective. Totally. Totally. Before I ask the final question, I need to tell you one more time. This has been an absolute blast. I think one of my just easiest interviews simply because I just loved how free flowing this was and how honest you were about a lot of things. So thank you for your honesty and for being on. It's all there is. (laughs) What you see, good or bad. Amen to that. Final question. What legacy would you hope to leave on this game? I get asked that a lot, you know? Do you? It's a tough one. I'm in control of my legacy because I'm never going to control what you think of me, what I, what I do, you know, you know, I want to be good to my people. I want my kids to know I love them. Even when I'm mad, you know, I want to have, you know, been good to Michigan softball. I mean, it's been awfully good to me. The university of Michigan has been my life. You cannot begin to repay that. But I think the biggest thing is, you know, this is a people business and I have been so impacted you know, you always talk about as a coach, you want to impact these kids. And I wanted to be that player, that coach, like my coaches were for me, the player. But really, everybody that along my path, whether your colleagues like Gail Blevins, whether your rivals, like, you know, so many of my Big Ten colleagues and all of the support staff that support your program, your strength coach, you know, Jason, who does our field, all these people impact you. And the student athletes have always impacted me. And you know, I always say once it gets to be the summer and I finally get a chance to get away and relax and go sit on a beach or something. And I'm like, why did I get so upset that we when we lost those games in February? And I just derailed the whole team. And, you know, just try to um, try to keep it in perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, what I do isn't the most important thing in the world, but it's really important to the people I do it with. And um, you all can write my legacy later. I, I just want to be... Um, Hopefully, people can look back and say, you know, Hutch loved me and I love Hutch. That's that's what I hope for. And, you know, not every everybody's going to say that. Well, I could say that. This has been <laughs> so fun and you've impacted so many. And I think that just means you're living your legacy, which is why it's hard to talk about. But, yeah, you're, you're going to leave an incredible one. You've already left an incredible one. And I'm excited to see what's more to come for Michigan softball. Me too. <laughs> I'm very excited. So um, it'll be coming soon. Let's go. Literally. All right. Well, I'll see you in Ann Arbor. Thanks for being on. Okay. Don't forget to look me up for golf. You bet. Go blue. I mean it. I'll do it. (laughs) Were you surprised by her favorite sports movie? For some reason, I wasn't. What a great pick. What a great human. I am so honored that Hutch is allowed to give me her time and give us her time to be on the show. And... What's surreal is that her legacy will live on in this episode. And I know I always share, hey, I'd love for you to like or share the podcast or review it. But like this message right here today is the reason why I invite you to like or share this stuff. Because as you do that, more of this work gets to be sent out and broadcasted to more people to listen. And this might be the most powerful episode we've ever had yet, talking about the inception of equality in men's and women's athletics. We did not always get the things that we have now. And we frankly don't get enough 
but we have to know how far we've come to know where also we're headed. And so I'm just honored that this conversation did what it did and is doing what it's doing. And it's being shared with people across the nation. If any episode is one that you share, please make it be this one. Not just because Hutch is a celebrity, but more on the fact of these topics of Title IX need to be shared and need to be talked about. I heard Hutch say in a press conference this week, I leave a woman with no limits. That's what I wish for every woman that walks on the field. I love Hutch. I love her mission. I know this is just the beginning. I know there is so much more she is going to give our game. And I'm honored that she was able to share some of that incredible wisdom with us this week. Thank you, Hutch. And don't forget to stay awkward, stay humble, and keep smiling. I'll see you next week.